When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, the deuce. Did you just fall down? <laughs> Do you need medical attention? Can you hear us? <laughs> You just pull a sweater over your head. (laughs) Uh, What are you drinking? I I had a hand in this. Yes, I'm drinking, uh, let's see, what is this? BFB Country Lager Land Beer. Wow, that is a lot of syllables. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. I I mean, when they they could have boiled it down to, you know, beer. Yes, (laughs) you had me at beer. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ooh, 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 mm, mm. Oh, that's tasty. Definitely like treating you Ooh. right. So for even from 3,000 miles away, you gave me a color and I picked a good beer. Pretty positive that, that you don't actually have to know anything about anything to be good at it. Because <laughs> LD doesn't drink like at all. Mm-hmm. But you almost exclusively pick out Will's beers, right? And wine. And wine. Yeah. And wine. And you do and you you knock them all out of the park. And then I just I didn't explain it. I didn't tell her what the why I was sending it. I just sent LD a text about an hour ago that said gold or silver out of nowhere. And she said, silver, what am I picking? And I said, beer. Yeah. Yay. And meanwhile, I'm drunk at the Ingles just before closing time and I can't make a decision. <laughs> All right. So uh, we also have Mr. Will the Thrill. Greetings and salutations. See, that is a good Yeah. One. Yahoo! And he's drinking the exact same thing he was last week. It was a good one, so I'm going to go back. He to still it. has the uh, water beer. Uh, I bet it's I bet it's warm and uh, it's all spoiled by now. No, we're good. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Add some banana liqueur. Come on. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna make him a Rick's to see. Uh, please don't. <laughs> so we have a couple of uh, things that we wanted to address this week, guys. 
So thank you for all the birthday wishes. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I actually got to go to a comedy show. It was a lot of fun. It was nice to sit down and just laugh for a while. So that was a really cool thing. Awesome. Um, and then bah, 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 what else? Oh, yes. Uh, we may or may not have an episode next week. What? Well, because we're going to be with you. Yes, we're going to be traveling. We're going to be traveling. We are Because you guys know, because we dropped a couple hints, we're actually moving uh, in the next couple of months. And so we're actually going to take a trip out to Georgia to check out houses and apartments and all that good stuff and living situation and, you know, all that good stuff. So we're hoping to have time to record next week. But if not, please, guys, bear with us. I know that uh, Jim Croce is coming at a glacier pace. But this, the episodes are actually lasting longer than his career. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> why, why you got to do that? I'm sorry. Granted, we started the series in February, but come on. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, I, have, I have images in my head of a constipated sloth, but uh, whatever. I was 41 when we started this. I am now 68. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then the other thing is, hooray, we have a new, new Patreon. Patreon. Yes. I'd like to thank Mike K. Thank I don't want to give out, I don't want to give out your whole name, Mike K, but uh, Mike is our new Patreon. We really, really appreciate that. And I'll give out all that information if you want to um throw some coins in the tip jar at the end of the show. You absolutely can. But Mike, please note that your donation to the show has granted you access to pick a subject for one of our episodes and you get to pick the host so i actually sent you a private message so double check your email because uh, i would love to get your submission in and let whatever host you pick uh get started on that project so pick ld and make her do phil collins <laughs> he's not dead yet <laughs> what is gonna happen when he passes i mean we're gonna have to cover him i know i'll just leave <laughs> and ld's out <laughs> but uh, seriously, Mike, thank you so much. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. Keeping the show going, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, now, Will, we, you said that uh, you had a correspondence that you wanted to mention. I believe I did. I did? Did you? Uh, from across the pond, I believe. Someone yes. has reached out to yes, us. Yes, and, uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I, I, pra I practiced my horrible accent just for the occasion. I hope you remember. Oh, and we do appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, I'm really sorry to all Parisians. Anyone from France, London, Ireland, Iceland, Greenland, the UK, the EU, Guyana, French Wait. Guiana. EU? What they doing? The butt? Oh boy. The EU wasn't it? No, 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 it wasn't. Yeah, it was one of our listeners. I'm trying to pull up the message right now. Yeah, we had an email uh, from across the pond, and I was very excited. Uh, because it gives me a chance to uh, say something along the lines of, I listen to Rocky Roll Heaven. Again, we apologize to the entire I'm nation of France sorry. for what just happened. All the people of France. Will this real? Oh, boy. Uh... You better hurry up and find it. <laughs> or it's just going to be that over and over. Yeah, on a loop. Crap. Find the email. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, here it is. Yes. Okay. A couple days ago, yeah. Assuming we're going to cut everything that just happened out, let's start with, <laughs> we got an email from across the pond from Chantel. Chantel is coming to us from France, 
And she actually made a point to say thank you for the Tom Petty episode and Freddie oh. Mercury series. Woohoo! Yeah. Yes, so she is actually a. I I like the traveling wheelberries. <laughs> she made a point to say that she laughs along with TJ2 and Will the Thrill and cries along with LD. So. <laughs> That's what oh, wow. So awesome. Thank you, Chantal, for, for you, keeping Chantal. in touch with us. We really appreciate you listening. And uh, please ignore TJ2 and, and know that we are, uh, <laughs> we really appreciate you. She likes laughing with us. Yeah, yeah clearly. Yeah. Hey, um, and, uh, and before we dive into the crochet, uh, one little bit of sweep up from last week, um, just because I'm a stickler about this. Even though I said I wasn't going to be a prick about it, I'm going to now anyway. <laughs> um, LD, guess what? What? Hanson is not a one hit wonder. Ooh. What was the other song then? Okay, the other song. Headline, Man from Milwaukee. What photo was, not available? <laughs> I don't have it. Hang on one second. I do have it in front of me. I actually was thinking that Where's the Love charted. It did not, but they had uh, a I'm couple so, of other hits. I'm so scared that you know that Where's the Love is a Hanson song. Let's see. Hold on. Uh, something called I Will Come to You. Hit number nine. Really? That was then a super depressing this time, song. Then this time around, I uh, made it to number 20. Huh. Okay. Um, I Will Come to You is actually, uh, I think that was the one that they wrote for their grandmother after she passed away. Oh, okay. It was a really sad okay. song, but it's a very sweet song. Yeah. But so they actually had three top 40 hits. Um, then we made reference in our, you know, Slap Nuts Good Time uh, episode last week when we were talking about one hit wonders primarily uh we we referenced manfred man's earth band ah! was that was that like the, <laughs> the secret <Sorry>. word <laughs> but um we, we were discussing at the end of our discussion those those who are not familiar with the full breadth of their catalog would be left with the impression that they only had two hits and they actually had like six and there's yeah. two that everybody there's knows. Two that everybody well, knows. there's two that everybody knows, and then the Mighty Quinn, and I think one called Runner, um, and a couple of other ones. But they actually had uh, the the band whose name I shan't repeat again because I imagine it's coming up later in the episode. Um, so you've heard the they show. Actually, they, they actually had more than Do I Diddy and Blinded by the Light. Have you seen my script? Have you been cheating? Sorry, <laughs> and um, and also um, <laughs> one last correct, uh, correction uh, from last week. I should have mentioned Martika and my childhood crushes. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, I got the best text message. The Jenkins Journal Tribune B News Reporter Independent apologizes for the error. <laughs> I am just laughing at the fact that you sent me this the text message at the end. It was like, did you just rickroll our entire audience? Why, yes, yes, you I did. did. <laughs> Happy birthday, LD. Yep. Con power. Uh, so anyway all right so yes. uh let's get back to actual business yes so yes. the whole point of the podcast yeah I was, actually, I was actually trying to remember uh will what about where were we um in the story i guess he uh we, you were about to talk about an impending wreck yes yeah, so if i remember correctly yeah, that's coming up. Basically, at this point uh, where we last left off, Jim was in boot camp trying to basically get out of boot camp. Uh, Ingrid is up in Pennsylvania going to school, and we're about to dive into, uh, oh boy, I'm, I'm telling you guys, these these next episodes are going to be a rough ride. Uh, Jim Croce's life was was not easy. 
and we're about to find the details as to why. As I said, when I set out to write these episodes, I tried to sort of shine some light on some of those more uh, intimate areas of Jim's life, because most people know the story. You know, he became a musician, he moved to New York, it didn't work, came back, hit it big, and just when about to really get to the top, it all comes crashing down. So uh, I'm really hoping to, again, investigate some of those darker corners of the Croce story that people may not know, which actually reminds me, LD, we do have a specific warning on this one. Uh, we do have our usual warnings, language, drug use, uh, but there is something that, uh, you know, we are a very lighthearted show, I think, and we approach a lot of topics with frivolity, but this is not one that we're going to do that. Obviously, this has, we, we need to give it its due, and LD, I think it's best you address this. Yeah, so this episode, you know, like Will said, is, you know, usually we, we do tackle serious issues in these, and of course, the end is inevitable, but uh, occasionally there will be an event in someone's life that is particularly hard to talk about. And especially Will being a gentleman, uh, he thought that it might be best if I address this, which is there will be descriptions of rape. Um, I don't think he goes very graphic, but it does happen. Yes. And if you are triggered by sexual assault in any, any form, Please, we will give a warning before he actually mentions it. You can skip ahead, or if uh, you you think that it would be too hard, we completely understand if you skip this episode and come back to the next one. Uh, you know, with um, all the kind of mental health and everything in line for it, we want to make sure that everyone is taken care of. So uh, we will not, you know, if you want information that was on the episode, reach out to us and we will send you the script and fill you in. And, uh, you know, we don't want you to miss out on anything, but we will give that trigger because we do know that a lot of people have dealt with that in the past and it is an incredibly triggering thing. And the last thing that we want to do is hurt any of our listeners. So yeah. before that happens, we'll, we'll actually say, you know, this is the part where we describe this incident. Yes. And, and the only reason I'm including it is because in the book authored by Ingrid Croce, she discusses it publicly. So other than that, I may have completely left it out, but I think it's important to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's get back into the life, the times, the music, and the depths of the tragedy of Jim Croce. So we're in the late 60s at this point, and in a later interview, Ingrid said it was the 60s. It was the perfect time to be us against the world. Well, if we've learned anything in the last two episodes, the world wasn't about to just lay down and go quietly. In fact, it's about to make it pretty hellish for the young couple who had just gotten married, remind you, remind you. Last episode, we found out that Jim was being shipped off to boot camp the week after his wedding, one week after he gets married. He's in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Jeez. Now, I also realized that I've talked a great deal about Jim and Ingrid playing music together, but we haven't played a single song featuring the two of them. So I'm going to actually start this episode on that note, and we will begin with a song from 1969 this one is going to be on their album entitled jim and ingrid croce and we're going to start off with the way we used to be how come we can't talk the way we used to do nothing seems to be the same have we forgotten all the things we knew was it you or I who changed? We 
gotta find the answer, let the secrets fly. Enough of telling stories and our well-meaning lies. Things don't seem to be the same no matter how I try. There's no rhythm to the rain. Wind still whispers through the leaves on high, but they no longer sing your name. Gotta find the answer, let the secrets fly. Enough of telling stories and our well-meaning lies. We've gotta try to build what we had in the past. Try and have the battle. If we lose it, we can't last. Heard myself just say the things I could never say before. And listen to the rhythm of the rain. The wind just whispered through the leaves on high. And I thought I heard them sing your name. We've gotta find the answer, let the secrets fly. Enough of telling stories and our well-meaning lies. We've gotta try to build what we had in the past. Ryan's half the battle if we lose it we can't last Heard myself just say the things I could never say before And listen to the rhythm of the rain Wind just whispered through the leaves on high And I thought I heard them sing your name Okay, that was The Way We Used to Be. And this is maybe the first time either of you have heard Ingrid Croce sing, correct? Correct. LD? I think so, yeah. Uh, we actually kind of nailed it. Uh, she, to, to me, she sounds like, you know, you said Dolly Parton. Um, I think a little bit more like June Carter, actually. Mm, I could hear that. A little bit more like June yeah. Carter, a little bit like Dolly, a little bit like Linda. She definitely has like a. Uh, see, I was actually going to say they sounded a little like maybe like JT and Carly. Huh. Good, good observation. Yeah. Yeah, but the melody sounded a little like bit. Them. The the vibe of that song was very uh, like Simon and Garfunkelish. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a who was there was one other one I was kind of thinking of that it that kind of reminded me of his voice. Um, Will, do you want to cover up LD's ears real quick? uh just go ahead i'll hold her back uh gordon gordon lightfoot a little bit oh there's there's gonna be more where that came from here's the thing i don't hate gordon lightfoot i hate the edmund fitzgerald song you just hate the you just hate the song i hate the song song. it's not like phil collins jesus man's whole career is a a little like uh, a little like sundown or um something like that backstairs kind of you know but 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 anyway yeah but it, it was a really good song she had a really pretty voice too. I, I really liked Ingrid's voice yeah well it's interesting you guys mentioned linda ronstadt because she is going to be a contemporary of the croches in the oh, announcer wow. in future yeah so we are now in the late 1966 and jim is coming out of boot camp he finally graduates after you know getting bumped back and they're looking at life beyond the army at this point ingrid as we know is still in school and they're looking to move closer to family, so they're targeting areas in, in and around where they grew up. So what they find is a small home, very modest to rent, 
at 12 West Front Street, located in Media, Pennsylvania. Little geography lesson. Uh, Media is about 13 miles west of Philadelphia, and that way Ingrid could go to school and also be close to her parents who lived in Wallingford. Now, this is going to be important because, as we discussed in the last episode, Sydney was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That's Ingrid's father. And suffice to say, he wasn't getting any better. Now, as we all know, uh, Ingrid is trying to lock down this place, and it's really funny because the people renting them wouldn't take her very seriously. They took one look at her and thought she was a teenager. They're like, you can't buy anything, and she would bring in her marriage license and wave it around uh, because no one believed she was as old as she is. And also, take note of her voice because if you listen to interviews with Ingrid, who's still with us by today, um, she's, I think, 74 years old, 75 maybe. Ingrid's dead. No, Ingrid's with us. Ingrid is with us. Oh, so the bar's gone, but she's okay. Correct. She's 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 healthy. Yes. Okay. Uh, but her voice is very different. I'm gonna tell you why in the later episodes. There's a big change. So they move to be closer to family. As you know, Sydney is getting ill, and it's getting far worse. He's actually losing his ability to walk. He's bedridden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is tough because he's a very proud man. So allegedly, Ingrid walked into a real estate office, and the guy at the desk was saying, "Well, we have these properties," and she goes, "I'll take that one." and picked the one on Front Street. Huh. Blind, never been there before, just took it. Rent was 100 a month, which would be about $840, $830 huh. you know, in, in today's money. So she runs home and she tells her mother, you know, her stepmother, obviously, because her biological mother has passed on, and says, oh, this is great. We got this house. You know, I can't wait to show dad. And she just says, Ing, he will never see that house. Turns out that Sydney was dying. Huh. His diagnosis was terminal. Again, it's pancreatic cancer. It's just a matter of time. So the news reaches Jim, who's all the way down in Fort Jackson, and he quickly puts in the motion to get a emergency leave to see his father-in-law. He makes his way up there in less than 24 hours to be at Sydney's bedside in a hospital in New York, at which point he looks at Ingrid, he looks at Jim, and he says, I'm so glad you two have each other. I love you both. And that was the last time they saw him. Sydney passed the next day. Aww. Oh, man. Yeah. And even Jim's estranged parents went to the funeral. Now, they didn't know this at the time, but Jim Sr. had actually been meeting with Sydney on several occasions, and it's one of the ways that he was able to break through and basically get over the fact that Jim converted to Judaism was because Sydney got him there. Mm. So he was constantly talking to Jim Sr., and even at the funeral, he said some words very kind about Sydney and what a good man he was. Uh, Ingrid is devastated because, you know, the man that was her father essentially is gone, and she now knew that they had to take care of the remaining family members, which included not only Ingrid, but Ingrid's stepmother. And Sydney also had other children from his second marriage. So Jim figures, I got to step up. He goes to the army and he files for an official hardship and he gets an, a discharge based on those terms. They agree to send him to Fort Dix, New Jersey, which is interesting enough, a very good friend of mine, Air Force veteran, Scott. What's up, Scott? He actually just moved to Fort Dix. Oh. Yep. And he's working, I believe, as an air traffic controller. So, link up there. By March of 1967, Jim became a member of the National Guard, which was his plan all along, and he was in the reserves, which means little chance he'd get deployed to the war in Vietnam, and his only obligation was to go to one meeting a month. So, he gets back and gets his job again, selling airtime. As you remember, he was given sort of the rougher neighborhoods in Philly, in West Philadelphia. Born and raised. Born and raised. And uh, apparently he got along very well in those neighborhoods. They were rough on a lot of salespeople, but it seemed that they would warm up to Jim and Jim had a great way of disarming people and making them feel welcome. So he was actually really good at his job. Now, 
he got a prompting from his friend John, aka Sal, who told him he should take a job as a substitute teacher at Polanski Junior High School. Not Polanski, like the director of perhaps ill fame, but Polanski, P A L A N S K Y. So which, he's still allowed in America. Uh, yes. <laughs> so that is located in Chester, Pennsylvania, which is actually right across the river from New Jersey. Not a great area. Let's just say that. Jim was quoted when asked about the school district of teaching in the only grammar school anywhere where half the pupils had draft deference. So some were children of, you know, lesser means. Others were honestly ones, this is sort of sad, who had mental health issues and couldn't be diagnosed at that time because nobody knew what to deal with them. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of them also had juvenile records coming to the school. So he was given the, the tough assignment, basically, as a substitute teacher. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. Now, when he now is he at, he's at this at Chester High in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Correct. Is that yeah. okay? I actually have a, a very a very quick. I believe it or not, have a Chester High Pennsylvania story. Very quick. Ooh, one. Wow, let's hear it. Okay. Uh, once upon a time, I was very hard up and uh, didn't have anything going on and had to fill space with a feature series that sucked and was terrible. But <laughs> there are three high schools in the county that I've, I've my papers in. Chester High School, Louisville High School, Great Falls High School. So I did stories about Chester High, Pennsylvania, Great Falls High, Montana, and Louisville High in Texas um, because they, they share the names with the local ones, right? So I, was, I talked to the head basketball coach, and this has probably been 10, 12 years ago, of Chester High in Pennsylvania. And he told me, and I did not know this, they have a famous NBA alum, that being Jameer Nelson. Oh, wow. Okay, Jameer Nelson played at Chester High in Pennsylvania. So I'm talking to the guy that coached him. And I said, oh, wow, that's you know, it's really cool. You, know, you, have, you coached a guy that's in the NBA now. What was he like? And there was just a long pause. And he went, hell? <laughs> just, just like, just almost, almost like, God, what a dumb question. He said, what was he like? He was, he was hell. <laughs> That's yeah. why he's in the NBA, you moron. <laughs> and it may corroborate Jim's story is that neighborhood was not, not the best, not the greatest location. In any case, so while this is all going on, Jim's selling airtime. He's working at the school as a substitute teacher. He's also still playing the riddle paddock, as we mentioned in the previous episodes. And he and Ingrid would often be brought in as a, as a duo to sing. While this is happening, Ingrid is a full-time student. Remember, the promise they made to Sydney, even before he became terminally ill, was that Ingrid would finish school. And Jim was damned if he's going to break that promise. And, and I'm sorry, remind me, she was studying art, correct? Correct. She's now at Moore okay. College in Pennsylvania. Yes. Okay. Uh, Ingrid would actually make money by selling her paintings and pottery. In fact, she had a little series of pottery items called Little Uglies, which were the alleged rejects of like mugs and stuff, but people liked them. So she would sell them yeah. and made a little extra cash that way. Right. So, so they're like the odds and uglies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They used to sell at a popular donut chain. Oh, yes, you're right. I forgot about that. Wait, what were those? TJ. Krispy Kreme used to sell the, the, like, the misshapen ones and the slightly burned donuts, and, and they were called odds and uglies. Mm -hmm. See, I, and I you would get like a dozen for like 50 cents or something. See, I, the, there's a, number one, there's a company that's called like Ugly Vegetables. Oh, with the fruit. And, and it's they, got yeah. like just fruit that doesn't look pretty. It, you can still eat it just because it doesn't look good on the outside. You can still eat it. But also, I do the same thing with my my soaps and stuff if it does something doesn't come out the way i, I like it i call it a soap nope <laughs> and nice. you get it for cheap <laughs> peasant soap right 
it's yeah peasant soap but it's mm -hmm. it's soap nope i mean it's katie calls it peasant soap because mm -hmm. she is royalty soap correct so she came up with her thing so i had to come up with my own thing which was soap, soap nope. nope i like it <laughs> so let me run down a typical day in the croce household sun comes up jim wakes up and makes espresso for him and ingrid ingrid makes breakfast and then jim drives her to the train station so she can go to school jim goes on to teach then he leaves and goes to fill, you know, his the rest of his hours with selling airtime wherever he can, local pool halls, just anywhere he can go. He picks up groceries on the way home. They go back to the house. He picks up Ingrid from the train. Jim would usually cook. He was actually a very good cook. Hey, made a lot you. of yeah, made a lot of outstanding Italian recipes. Ingrid was quick to pick up these recipes and soon became a very skilled cook as well. And she would also bake. So she would make things like homemade bread and muffins and now things like that. Now you're showing off. I know, she's just killing it. Uh, then they would go out to the Riddle Paddock at about 8 or 9, and they'd play until close, which is around midnight, come home, crawl into bed around 1 or 2 o'clock, wash, rinse, repeat. That was their typical day. Oh, go yeah. to bed. I know, right? Now, as we mentioned earlier, Jim had formed a relationship with singer Don McLean. And he was actually quite the regular at the Croce household. He would stop in for dinner and he would actually get Jim's opinion on a lot of songs he was writing. So we talked about Starry Night a little bit, but it's highly theorized that Jim had his hand in a lot of Don McLean's most famous songs. I could actually yeah. hear that. Because he would actually go to Jim for, you know, for advice. And also the Croce's got a job at a local summer camp where they would teach art and music to children with special needs. Now, with that experience under Jim's belt, by the time fall of 1967 rolled around, Polanski high approached Jim, the board did, and they said, hey, we want to, quote, promote you. Now, I'm putting that in quotes because Jim would be the 15th teacher to move into that position. And it was what supposed... It, defense against the dark arts? It, I know, right? <laughs> now, so, what so this is like being the drummer for Spinal Tap? It, pretty much, <laughs> yeah, you're just on the way out. Um, even a handful of them lasted less than a week. Jeez. Again, the students were fighting constantly if they even showed up. Uh, Jim got his tires slashed multiple times. They actually beat his car with a baseball bat. Whoa. Many of the students, uh, the young women would proposition Jim. And I'm going to present you with, I can't call this a fun fact, so I'm going to call it a grim fact. Grim fact. All right. There we go. Grim fact. Now, we are all well aware of the infamous history of school shootings in the U.S. They go all, all the way back to 1840. Now, the 60s had several well-known, unfortunately, school shootings, uh, including one in August of 1966, where 18 students were killed in Austin, Texas. Gee, oh, wait, no. Yeah, that's, that one? Yeah, uh, wait, if, if anybody's wondering about that, that is uh, Charles Whitman, who actually killed his wife, then killed his parents, mm -hmm took a footlocker, went up to the bell tower at the university and started picking people off. Yeah. And I think one of the first victims was a woman who was unfortunately pregnant. She survived. Oh, the baby did not. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that that is a, it's the whole reason why we have the SWAT team. It's horrific. Mm -hmm. But again, if you, if you want to know disasters, come to me. I know them all. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like if I could start my own podcast about disasters, I absolutely would, but there's some really good ones already out there. So I'll just keep listening to those and, and occasionally doing some sort of weird disaster flex. <laughs> uh, hey, honey, I hate to interrupt you, but we do need to take a short sponsor break. 
And we are back. All right, let's get back to Jim Croce. So with all these school deaths, it's crazy to think that Jim Croce was almost a victim of a school shooting. Jeez. Now, one of Jim's students was a young man named Harold. Harold was struggling with his gender identity, which, of course, in that period was highly mislabeled and no one really knew what to do. He would actually wear women's clothing, and he came into class several times, would start arguments with Jim, and even finish the arguments by looking and saying, I'm going to kill you, man. I'm going to kill you. Jim never took it seriously. He was like, okay, Harold, it's, it's cool. It's cool, you know, until one day Harold came to school with a gun. Oh, boy. Now, Jim was in the classroom when suddenly over the loudspeaker, the principal says, Mr. Croce, lock your door. Harold's here. He's got a gun. So apparently, Harold had stormed the grounds, broke down the fire door, and was loudly exclaiming that he was going to murder Jim Croce. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. The police were called, and actually, they got to Harold. Jim stayed in his classroom, but uh, Jim was almost a victim of a school shooting. Jesus. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Man. So how do you respond to this? Well, we all know Jim is not the guy to process emotion. He's not a great communicator, you know, in speech. But he can do it through music. So he started bringing his guitar to school. And he would actually use songs to try to teach the kids some things. And for the large part, it worked. The board didn't like it. So they told Jim several times, stop bringing your guitar to school. Stop bringing your guitar to school. And Jim would even joke. And he said, I hope something happens with our music, as in music he and Ingrid are making, before they fire me. Keep that in mind. So so he was like Van Driesen from um, Beavis and Butthead? (laughs) A, a little bit yeah i could see that i could oh, see that or Maria <laughs> now here is the part where we come to our trigger warning the next yeah. section i'm going to talk about does involve sexual assault so guys at this point uh if you are triggered we do suggest that you skip this part and i will try to edit around maybe future lindley will come back and try to give a timestamp, or i'll try to put it in the show notes but um you know if you're triggered by it, we completely understand if you cut the, the podcast off now. Yeah. So, yes. So, Ingrid, as we know, is attending more college in Philadelphia, and she was actually granted a, I believe it's a fellowship, yeah. to go to Mexico and study art. Mm-hmm. So, she says, great, and she goes with her fellow students, and they're in Mexico, and she goes out with some friends, they meet this group of guys, they go out to dinner, Ingrid gets separated from the group, suddenly she's going off on her own, and she is attacked. Uh, to this day, Ingrid does not know who attacked her. Jesus. She just said she was assaulted, she was forced to the ground, and uh, she did not ever identify her assailant. Uh, the first thing she thought of was, what am I going to tell Jim? It's the first thing she thought of. And she goes back and she, she tells her friends and they take her to the police and they do all the tests and make sure she doesn't have any disease and she wasn't pregnant, but she still did not know how to tell her husband. So Jim comes to visit, actually. She's not quite sure what to do and almost a month goes by before she says anything to him it did not go well neither of them knew how to deal with it they talked about counseling but jim outright refused in fact it got to the point where he wouldn't even acknowledge it he became extremely withdrawn actually it's can i interject yeah yeah you can yeah remember the documentary that we were watching yes I'll be gone in the dark. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was it, there was a Michelle McNamara documentary called "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," and there is a couple that um, 
he had the, the Golden State Killer had, uh, you know, attacked and sexually assaulted this woman. And you can actually tell when they're talking to the couple as a couple, mm-hmm. they're totally fine. But then you, but then she starts talking about what happened, and he just completely shuts down. And that's the thing is like, you know, we have a lot more resources now. And a lot of them are way more accessible than they were in the 60s. So, you know, for for anything, you have flight, fight, or freeze. And it sounded like he froze. And yeah. that's that's you know, it's not it's not his, I'm gonna say it's not his fault. He was a product yeah. of his time. Yeah. And you can see that in victims from the past that didn't have the the sources and the backing that we have today because now it's it's almost how am i going to say this in the past it was a great point of shame and it still yeah. is i think that's the biggest thing is it's a point of shame it's it's a woman who has been sexually assaulted will blame herself mm. what did i do and i i this is not i don't think this is an uncommon situation that Ingrid found herself in with somebody like that. So, I mean, yeah. we're, I hate to say this, but we're a little luckier now that we've got what we've got, but yeah. you know, it's still scary that we still have to deal with it and, and that it, people still go through this. Yeah. I can't imagine how she feels. She actually said in later interviews, she felt like she didn't have a voice, which is very very hard-hitting thing to hear and to never find um, out who your attacker was yeah, you'll never yeah. get justice like that yeah. that has to weigh it's yeah and, and it just impacted everything um jim actually stopped talking about anything serious in their relationship or negative he would kind of make a joke or he'd laugh it off or he'd just leave the room you know and this included anything from you know uh, ingrid being assaulted to the fact that they had no money i mean they were broke she was a student jim was making pennies and, you know, his career was really kind of floundering at this point. You know, they're not really playing music outside of the few bars they're in. It's a tough time, but Jim doesn't want to acknowledge any of this. He's just kind of pushing it to the side, pushing it to the side, pushing it to the side. Uh, he starts even feeling more despondent when he hears from his old friend, Tommy Picardo. Now, when we last left Tommy, he had actually suggested that he and Jim join the National Guard, right? So Tommy actually goes from there to New York and becomes very successful writing jingles. In fact, he let Jim know in a conversation that he wrote a spot for Coca-Cola that netted him $50,000. Holy cow. In 1968. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is several hundred grand oh. in current currency, I'm sure. Yeah. So Tommy is, Tommy is making it big. And, and now Jim's getting, you know, jealous because he sees Tommy, he's talking to Tommy, and he's doing this sales job, just trying to put together a few bucks. And Tommy's there doing exactly what he wants to do. Uh, Tommy had a wife named Pat Rosalia, and they lived in a somewhat luxurious, you know, New York apartment. Um, the idea of the city was kind of appealing. You could go there, you could make it big. So it was a lot of opportunity there. And it was a physical way to detach from everything they were dealing with in media Pennsylvania. So keep that in mind as we move along here. Uh, by 1968, Tommy actually calls Jim and lets him know that he's actually putting together his own label. He is now a partner, and he would like Jim to come to New York and see if he can be on the label. There's a problem here. Ingrid's still in school. She's still got a year left, and Jim did not want her to drop out. So 
reluctantly, they say, let's go to New York. We'll check it out and we'll just come back, right? So in the end, the Croches make their way right up the old New Jersey Turnpike to 40th, sorry, 40 West 55th Street, which for those of you who know New York is right near Rockefeller Center, just south of Central Park. So right in the middle of everything. And it was there that Jim reunites with his old friend, Tommy. Ingrid is there as well. And they meet the partners for Cashman, Pistilli, and West. So who's West, you may wonder? Well, Tommy actually changed his name from Picardo to West. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, the members of the outfit included, of course, Tommy. Cashman was Terry Cashman, whose real name was Dennis Minogue. Gene Pistilli. I'm wondering if any of these names ring a bell. We'll see. And Phil Kernett, who was their attorney. Now, we're going to get into a fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. TJ, does Gene Pastilli ring any bells? Um, not, not that I can think of. How about Tommy's wife, Pat Roselia? Well, I will tell you this. At the time, this was, of course, kept secret. Tommy's wife, Pat, was having an affair with his partner, Gene. Now, it's known that both later on were unfaithful to one another. But what's interesting is Pat actually leaves Tommy eventually. She gets together with Gene Pastilli, who join up with Tim Hauser. Laurel Massey, Marty Nelson, and Aaron Dickens to form a band called the Manhattan Transfer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a little fun fact for you all right there. Um, but yes, it was, it was rooted in infidelity, everybody. Now, I do have my own correction to make here. This is sort of a retraction. Um, earlier in this series, I think it was the first episode, we talked about the Croce's Italian heritage and how Jim Sr. changed his name. He did change his name. However, I did not have the correct first name. I thought it was Giuseppe. Jim's real name was actually Hermino Gildo Croce, which he changed to sound more American. Huh. He went with Jim, uh, which is kind of along the lines of what Tommy did. Also, I think Tommy West sounds kind of like a, you know, that's a record guy right there. Tommy West was also the football coach at Clemson at one point. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Wait, was he before Tommy, the one right before Tommy? It was right before Tommy Bowden. Tommy Bowden. Yeah. I remember that. Cool. So many, many people have done this throughout history, changed their name to avoid some kind of attachment. It was actually very common when people were, you know, migrating en masse to the U.S. One of the individuals who did something very similar was Manfred Sepsi Lubowitz, who was actually the founder of Manfred Man's Earth Band. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Manfred Man's Earth Band, Riffle the Podcast, been satisfied. Oh, that was a good one. That, kind of like Wolfman Jack. Yeah, that was that was mildly Wolfman Jackish. Well done, TJ. Well done. I really want. Hey, to, thanks. Look, if anybody has a connection to Manfred Man's Earth Band, tell them to we call. We love Manfred Man. I, I just, I just, <laughs> I want, I want them, I want a member of Manfred Man's Earth Band to actually say that. That would be amazing. That would be so cool if we could get a member of Manfred Man's Earth Band to say that the Manfred Man's reference of the podcast has been yes. satisfied uh hit us up man for man then i'll never say it like a dj or say it um all creepy or gross or skeevy again we're just going to play that every week from now to eternity oh yeah, yeah. run it into the ground yeah yep. yes yep so man for man we're here we're here just we're let here. us know <laughs> Uh, so at the office, they also meet a producer, a guy you may at least know his work. His name is Nick Bennett. Uh, Nick was known for work with Linda Ronstadt, uh, the Beach Boys, Bobby Darren, and the Stone Ponies, to name a few. 
Ingrid and Jim actually did an on-the-spot audition. So they basically bring them into the office. They kind of gather them around. They joke a little bit, and they go, okay, you know, play. Okay, so Jim takes out his guitar. He sings with Ingrid. They go, oh, it's great. It's a very typical, we love it. It's wonderful. We'll get back to you. So Damn. Yeah, I know. So Jim and Ingrid stay at Tommy and Pat's apartment at 51st and 2nd, which is right near the East River. And the whole time, Ingrid's feeling a little weird. Now, things with Jim are obviously still very rocky at this point, and they haven't resolved the very obvious issues in their marriage. But she's picking up obvious cues from Tommy and Pat that things are not quite right. And of course, now you know the backstory on that one. Uh, Jim was actually continuing. It's, it's just like Couch Guy. It is <laughs> kind just of like is, Couch isn't it? Guy. You know something weird is going on. But she's also getting weird vibes from Tommy. This is Jim's old friend. That's he's up couch in New York. Guy. He's kind he's, of the couch guy on this. He's the yes. couch guy. He is. Uh, check out TikTok. You'll find it. Um, <laughs> Jim's becoming even more distant. He's becoming more despondent. And he's actually becoming quite irritable. Uh, one week, they go back home. They don't hear anything from Tommy. Time goes by. They don't hear anything from Tommy. At this point, Ingrid starts saying, oh, she might want to go to grad school. You know, they're going to be in Philadelphia a while. Jim actually snaps and goes, you could probably get a scholarship anywhere. Shit. I can't believe I'm back at Polanski Junior High going nowhere. Did you did you almost do like an accent? Did I drop into like a Philly accent yeah, there? I was getting in the character. Yeah. Channeling my inner oh. Jim Croce. Well... That was the beginning of the spiral, folks. October of 1968, Jim's going to go down the drain. He grows disenchanted with the Riddle Paddock for a number of reasons. First of all, during one of the fights that breaks out, someone throws a chair that breaks two of his guitars. No! Yeah, which to a musician, that's just terrible. No. Uh, he was actually brought up, you know, sing the body ballads, you know, sing the balls to your, your partner, sing the chastity belt. And he and Ingrid are playing together. And so she comes up on stage and people are making comments no no which yeah knowing what we know is extremely problematic so jim gets out of the paddock after that he actually gets canned from the junior high school after a year of being warned not to bring his guitar the board finally lets him go that is baloney yeah. for well yeah especially since they had uh, other people who didn't even last a week mm -hmm. teaching that class and You've not been just there a that, year. but but it, the science has proven time and time again, if you teach children music, A, they're more likely to learn, but B, they excel in math and science. Yeah. Now, I always sucked at music, so I always sucked at math and science. But look yeah. at my math. Actually, uh, yeah. I, just, I think uh, the studies have actually, new studies show that uh, kids who study music uh, smoke, smoke grass. <laughs> you don't have to just smoke it now. Yeah, there are multiple ways to access it. Yep. Yeah, they smoke the grass. Uh, so Jim is, is terminated hey, for violating policy. Hey, hey T, have you, uh, yeah. have you taken time today to shake your fist at that cloud? <laughs> I need to go yell at someone to get off my lawn. If yeah, right. <laughs> there's there's got to be a squirrel or something out there I can, I can shake my fist at and yell. <sighs> so the only option Jim now has is to, well, I'll sell airtime. So he's back in the rough neighborhoods. He actually gets to do a pool hall. Now, remember, this is 1968. So the race riots are at an all-time high. Oh, yeah. So it's just mayhem. He goes down to West Philly. Born and raised. There we go. And he meets a pool hall owner named Fufu Alangar. Huh. A massive man with an equally massive afro. Jim talks him up, and Fufu goes, I'm in. So Jim lands a big account. He's psyched about this. He goes back down to, you know, close the deal with the paperwork, only to learn that Fufu was murdered in his own pool hole. Jesus. Oh, gosh. 
Jim actually walks in and one of the guys walks up to him and goes, Fufu's dead, man. Fufu's dead. And Jim looks at the pool table beyond him and sees it still covered in blood. Oh, geez. Yeah, oh. Fufu, Fufu was beaten to death on that pool table. That sucks. Jim quit that day. Does anything yep. good happen? Well, he no, just it doesn't sound like it. He went from three jobs to zero in record time now. And as if on cue, the phone rings. It's Tommy Picardo. Now, Jim picks up the phone and he's on it for so long that he kind of forgets Ingrid's at the train station. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah, she called, got a busy signal, called, got a busy signal, and then walked all the way home. Oh. To find him still on the phone with Tommy Picardo. So. I mean, half dozen, yeah. one, six or other, but I'd at least punch you in the face. Oh, yeah. At which point he goes, hey, Ing, guess what? And she's pretty peeved at this point. Tommy wants to make our album, but we have to move to New York. Jim stops. Ingrid stops. She looks up and says, when do we leave? Oh, They're going to go for it. But, now, but that was the one thing that... So, yes, they do take that into account. What Ingrid managed to do was arrange a deferral from Moore College. Okay. She could take a year off. And as long as she re-enrolled after the year, it's like nothing had happened. So yeah. it was almost like a year. Why am I so invested yeah. in her education? Oh, it, it's, it's going to get crazier. Uh, the Crochies pack all of their things in the storage. They jump in the old raisin, the VW bug, and they're back in Manhattan. At which point, boom, contracts. So the smarmy lawyer, Phil Kernett, busts out the contracts, and Jim doesn't want to read any of it, but Ingrid's like, wait a minute, what is this? What are we signing? Now, here's the deal. Bear in mind at this point, they're working with Capital Records, okay? So Tommy's actually working for Paramount, which is a subsidiary of Capital. They agree to pay Jim $200 a week to write songs, sort of like a, sort of like a retainer, basically, okay? This came with the promise of an advance and a one-year option, which meant that after a year, they would kind of redecide what they're going to do and maybe go their separate ways, keep going, whatever it is. Gotcha. Um, now, keep in mind, we're just talking about Ingrid's education. We'll come back to that. Um, Jim looks at Tommy. Tommy goes, yeah, this is fine. Looks at Ingrid. Ingrid's not so sure. Signs contract. No. And, and, and as, as we know, historically, first contracts for artists are not, uh, not the best. Yeah, we'll pay you $200, but you owe us $300. Yeah, yeah. so what? this is in the fall. Oh. By December, there is still no album and therefore no advance. Tommy had told Jim that Capital was actually being restructured and the advance was being reviewed. On top of that, Tommy goes, okay, so we got to get you guys out there. Tell you what, we'll get you on a college tour. We'll pay you 300 bucks a week. Great. Except 20% of that is going to go to a guy named Merv Frankel, who was a former baseball manager and was allegedly booking all of their shows. They never met him. So Ingrid and Jim would actually be responsible for all of their own expenses. Now, this, this comes into play mm -hmm. later on yep. with the hotel circuit with Dusty. Yep. Dusty she had to college. do it herself, right? Yeah, she had to do it herself because the people that were booking her didn't really have an idea of her style mm -hmm. is that kind of what we're running into here is they, they don't understand what jim and ingrid want i don't know if it's that because their sound seemed to be very marketable at that time i mean we heard the music i don't know what the deal is so a lot, a lot of the debates is what was tommy picardo doing and tommy's never really said anything so we don't know 
Um, so Jim and Ingrid are like, okay, at least we'll get out. We'll play music. It's better than nothing. After two days, they hit the road for the Midwest and they start off in actually the University of Minnesota. They're driving in the Raisin. They have to provide all their own food, pay for their gas, and they're basically staying with anyone who will give them a roof over their head. Lord. Yep. Their tour was in Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Now remember, former baseball manager. So TJ, you know what baseball schedules are like. Sometimes Jim and Ingrid would have to travel 18 hours between gigs, which were often a day after each other. Yep. Yep. That's that. This that's that's um that the abuse of artists in that uh, uh, manner um, goes back quite a while. To it's, it's part of the reason that people like Johnny Cash and folks like that got hooked on speed. Yeah. Because literally, like, hey, great, you know, you just played a show in Miami. Uh, you're playing in Austin, Texas tomorrow, and you're driving yourself there. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's how, remember I mentioned earlier that at the time the Raisin is retired, which we're going to get to that in the next episode, it had well over 200,000 miles on the odometer because they were just driving around the country. Uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, they actually played a show at uh, Bellarmine College, which was actually in the middle of a miner's strike. Now, Jim had already established himself with work, as we talked about in episode one, on The Miner's Story, which was the documentary narr narrated by Jack Palance. So Ingrid and Jim actually wrote a song about the minor struggle. And this is the next one we're going to show you. This is from 1969. Here is What Do People Do? Tell me what do people do when there ain't nothing to do? When there's nobody else around to do nothing with or to. Have you ever been in that position in a small town motel room? Where the diners all close at nine And the trucks keep a rolling by And you just can't get to sleep Even though there's nothing on your mind Tell me what do people say When there ain't nothing to say When there's nobody else around To help you pass the time of day Have you ever stared at the ceiling Till you thought you'd lose your mind Look for a wall that you could climb Still you just can't get to sleep Even though there's nothing on your mind Have you ever been stuck in a small town motel Looking all around but there ain't nothing to see In a never ending mind Bending trouble in position Saying why did it happen to me Tell me what do people do When there ain't nothing to do When there's nobody else around to do Nothing with or to Hope you're never in that position in a small-town motel room Where the diners all close at nine And the trucks keep rolling by Still you just can't get to sleep Even though there's nothing on your mind What do people do? So that's what do people do? Jaunty tune, I'd say. It is, and I'm telling you, to both be from, uh, what, Philly area? Mm -hmm. Both from Philly. They sound remarkably country. Yeah, like I said, Jim was mistaken for a Southerner a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think LD's assertion earlier that Ingrid sounds like June Carter was pretty dead on in that song. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say, um, very twi very twangy to be to be from where they were from. That's, mm -hmm. that's Actually, really interesting. Okay, so here's my thing. I really like 
that song. I like her voice. There's something in the mix that was too sharp. Mm. That's not her. That's, that's the mix. And so they brought her way to the front and pushed Jim farther back and pushed the instrumentation even farther back. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it, it, there's something in the mix that I didn't like. But as a song, I'm in because I, I like it. It is a <laughs> jaunty little tune. It, really is. it like, is jaunty. And she did sound like either June Carter or, or an off-brand uh, Mandrell sister of some kind. Yes. Erlene, maybe. <laughs> just not Barbara, Anyone right? Barbara. Not, not Barbara, but uh, one of the Barbara Mendrum. And I do nice. <laughs> so, very nice. I love it. <laughs> I've never gotten to use that anytime. And now it's actually appropriate. Yes. <sighs> so, apart from the absolutely slap nuts schedule they have, uh, the gigs were rarely publicized, interestingly enough. They would show up, and on night one, there'd be a handful of people in the audience. However, if they were in town for more than one night, each night they were there, the crowds got bigger. So they were doing something right. Yeah, because they're awesome. Because they were awesome, yeah. And all this while, they're actually writing songs. That was one of the selling points that Tommy threw out there. He was like, oh, you know, you could write songs for the upcoming album, which was still nowhere closer to being made by December. Uh, the money, it was absolute crap. You know, Jim and Ingrid were spending more on the road than what they were making and then kicking back to this Merv guy. And uh, by the time they got back to New York, they had absolutely no money, nothing about the record, and there was no advance. Ingrid said a quote that I think we can all agree with. I love the music, but I hate the business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like not so much in podcasting, more in like soap making and candle making. <laughs> I hate doing the business part. I mm -hmm. like making something because I like being creative. But then, you know, creative people really shouldn't cross over into that whole doing my taxes thing. And here they're just getting screwed. Yeah. I mean, this is just them yes. getting screwed. Yeah. Uh, Jim made a few observations about New York. He actually described it like a Fellini film. The subways are like rolling restrooms. And the bars on the windows are actually meant to keep people from jumping out, not getting in. So... Didn't have the highest opinion of uh, the city that never sleeps. Finally, Jim decides he's going to go to Tommy. Well, let me correct that by saying Ingrid makes Jim go to Tommy and figure <laughs> out what the hell is going on. And at this point, it's revealed that Gene and Pat were having an affair. Tommy's going to get a divorce. They'd only been married a year. They're actually pushing Gene out of the partnership. Restructuring, still underway, guys. Um, oh. Jim tried to find some studio work. He got like gigs here and there but nothing lasting so they took the only place they could get which was actually prompted by tommy in harlem so they move up to harlem now at this point you may have forgotten because jim sure did he had an obligation as a member of the national guard <laughs> he had to attend monthly meetings and oftentimes they'd be in the middle of nowhere and ingrid would have to call and kind of make a case like oh jim broke his leg or jim's really sick or and finally, she says, Jim, I'm not doing this anymore. You've got to talk to them. I'm not going to front for you anymore. <laughs> and so finally, he takes it up with his direct superior guy named Sergeant Koya. And Koya really likes Jim. He says, okay, I'll make you a deal. I can revise your schedule to reflect perfect attendance. you got to play an officer's dinner. Jim says, fine, I'll play the dinner. Where is it? Back home in Pennsylvania. So. It's they, a trap. It, it, it kind of is, yeah. So. What happens? He's back with his parents. No. And here come the questions, which are, when are you getting a real job? 
do you have nothing better to do than play that guitar? When are you it's, having a baby? Yeah, pretty much, yeah, it's all those conversations. Although they weren't hipped on the baby stuff because they didn't like the fact that Jim was now Jewish and he married a Jewish woman and it was just a mess. Uh, so Jim was actually playing local gigs while he was there. And all this time, they're just staying with Jim's folks and he gets a letter. Now, I brought up earlier the sort of tradition of letter writing among the Crochies. Jim writes a lot of letters. His parents write him a letter, actually his father. And I'm going to read it to you. One morning, Jim comes down to find this letter from his father addressed to him sitting on the kitchen table. Jim, your seeming lack of initiative and interest to settle down has me somewhat concerned. How your mother feels are another story. It seems to me that you prefer to live a nomadic and gypsy sort of life, running from place to place. Possible some visits to a psychiatrist will prove useful. I don't know. But I would say that you are turning out to be an educated bum, if you will excuse the expression. There is no question that you know better. But why you choose to carry on in this matter you have elected is beyond my thinking. Your desire to keep roaming may be what you call happiness, but I think you're unstable and maybe off your rocker. Oh, wow. I am getting to believe you wasted four years in college, and there's no question you've wasted four years since you've been out of school. Now that you have decided to be on your own, I attach. One, insurance bill for $85.10. Please pay it if you want the policy to continue. Otherwise, don't pay it and it will drop. Two, Please destroy all gas cards in my name. From here on out, all my credit cards for gas are going to be charged to Associated Steam. My present cards are being canceled. Three, I am seriously thinking about changing my will and your mother's will that in the event of my demise, there shan't be a penny for you unless you're settled down working at a legitimate job or until you're 500 or 55 or 60 years of age, at which point, you'll probably know how I feel about this situation. And again, I don't know how you ever got mixed up in this. At this point, my suggestion would be that you learn some trade or go into business and leave all that ring around the rosy that you're doing now. Pop. Huh. Mm, that's pretty harsh. Jim sat on his childhood bed and wept. Uh, I was going to say, that's, that's um, Oof. A, a horrific rejection from your father. And most men, whether they admit it or not, want their father's approval. Of course. Um, and want they, they want their their father to be proud of them. They want their dad to look at him and think, "Look, my son has grown into a responsible mm -hmm. man who I'm proud of." And he basically just told him, "You're shiftless. You're lazy. You've done yeah. nothing with your life, and you might actually be crazy." Yeah, you might be nuts. Yeah. And, well, and, oh, and oh, and oh, by the way, I'm cutting you out of the will unless you li start living your life the way I think you should. Yeah, get a real job. Well, yeah. Okay. Right. The whole thing about the insurance, you got to get off your parents' insurance by the time you're 25 anyway. I don't think that was the rule back then. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because this was... is 1969. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to do a little song break there. Uh, Ingrid's with him the whole time reading this again. The treatment by Jim's family is. Jesus, wow. this is, I'm going to go get a drink. It's a tragedy. I'm going to go get some booze. So let's cue up a song called Hey Tomorrow. This is from their 1969 album that will be produced in the coming March. So there is an album, that's the good news. But let's hear a little snippet of that. This is Hey Tomorrow.
folks hey tomorrow I really all right like that one that yeah. one was really pretty like again that was that was really catchy earwormy but i love it i love the, everything about it very 60s very 60s no notes nailed yeah it. no notes nailed it dj thoughts uh oh, pretty much the same yes yeah, very yeah very nice sounding song um a little bit different um little more ballady and there was a little more electric guitar in that one it sounded like oh yeah and that's actually compliments of another musician we're going to get to in episode four so this this song was recorded for the 1969 jim and ingrid croce album which yes it finally comes out and uh it was actually redone i believe for you don't mess around with jim so we're going to talk about that so march 1969 tommy finally lets jim know we're clear to make the album. So it's been pretty much a year at this point. Uh, so they go back to Cashman, Pastilli, and West, and then it, well, Pastilli's out at this point, and they agree to record a 10-song album for Capitol Records. The tracks on that album were as follows. Hate Tomorrow, Age, Big Wheel, I Am Who I Am, Just Another Day, Spin, 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 The Next Man I Marry, and What the Hell were some of the most prominent songs on that record. The recording took place at the famous Hit Factory located on West 48th Street. This is the same studio that would welcome other artists, including Paul Simon, Bruce Springsteen, The Rolling Stones, U2, 
Cindy Lauper, the Eagles, Robert Palmer, and even Michael Jackson. Yay! So again, a bunch of uh, ne'er do wells, correct? <laughs> yeah, just just a couple of obscure indie artists who barely <laughs> ever registered uh, on the charts or uh, in anyone's consciousness. Um, yeah, barely on the radar. Yeah, that, barely at all. After almost a year, they're in the studio, and Jim and Ingrid felt the whole thing was rushed. So they knew their songs inside and out. That wasn't the problem. Every single time they did a track, the producer, Nick Vennett, would just be like, oh, that was great. Let's keep going. And Jim would be like, really? And now Jim has been in the studio before. He's not completely clueless. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we, we, it's just good, Jim. Don't worry about it. We'll just keep going. So they get no input and they get no direction. The entire album was recorded in only three days. Yeah. Oh, well. Three days. Yep. Again, I mean, like we've seen that with other artists before. Yes. You know, some take three days, some take 15 years. <laughs> Graham Nash took, what, 30 between albums, I think? <laughs> uh, needless to say, then it was kind of all over the place. And he comes out at the last minute and goes, oh, 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 you should change the name of the album to Bombs Over Puerto Rico. What? Thankfully, that did not happen. So <laughs> that was squashed. Um, yeah, that's, that would be super catchy. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and that album, Jim and Ingrid Croce, was actually Jim's second studio album, and it was Ingrid's first, and it's actually the only album featuring both of them. The only one. Yeah. Interesting. As we said, it was rushed in production, and promotion was another matter altogether, to quote Jim's father. Uh, by the summer, where was the advance, I wonder? Remember that advance they were promised? Yep. Yeah, it didn't happen yet. Uh, Tommy said, oh, well, we have to wait for the album to be released. By June, Jim had had enough. He goes back into Tommy's office only to figure out that Gene, a now former partner, had tried to kill himself by ODing on sleeping pills. They go to the hospital to visit Gene, where Gene reveals that he was actually forced to sign over everything to Phil Kernett, Terry Cashman, and Tommy Picardo. Some friends, said Gene Pastilli, they can keep their profits and I can get the F out. So Gene's now kicked to the wayside and they're doing who knows what during this capital restructuring. Now around this time, remember Gordon Lightfoot, hon? Yeah, that guy. A few musicians wander into Cashman, Pastilli, and West. One is named Maury Muehlheisen. We'll actually cover him in the next episode. He's there to create his first album under that same label. The other is maybe a name you know, TJ, John Stockfish. John Stockfish. He was the hmm. bass player for Gordon Lightfoot. He oh, wow. With Lightfoot okay. was actually figured on some of his favorite songs, including, yep, the Edmund Fitzgerald. That song sucks out loud. <laughs> he also did the Sundown album, which I think is considered Gordon's best, probably, I think. Uh, anyway, Stockfish was on the label, too, and he's hanging around New York, and he's like, hey, I can move in with you guys, Jim and Ingrid, that is. So Tommy's like, sure, can you guys put up Stockfish? And they're like, yeah, okay, he can stay with us. Problem was, Stockfish was totally broke. He spent all day smoking joints, playing his metronome, and he would bring Jim over and be like, you hear it? You hear it? And he'd play the metronome, and he'd be like, no, 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 you don't get it, man. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? So Stockfish was uh, not the most you productive that, roommate. Man? Yeah. It's putting on the Ritz. But uh, apparently he was a stellar songwriter, and they start writing songs together. Uh, just sort of an afterthought here. Unfortunately, John Stockfish is no longer with us. He passed away from illness in 2012. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, but at this time, he was actually working with Jim and Ingrid, and they sort of turned a duo into a trio. And then Merv, the infamous booker, steps in, and he starts getting him gigs in Massachusetts. And this time, while they're there, the album finally gets released. September 2nd, 1969. 
They go down to the store. They get a copy of the album. They put it on. Jim hates it. He absolutely hates it. He complained about the mix. He complained about the way the songs were ordered. Basically everything. He said, I should have been in on the final mix. He wasn't. And it was not an easy album to find. Apparently Capitol did a pretty poor job of promoting it. So if you could even find a copy. What a shot. I know, right? Now, the year mark is almost up. Remember, this is about September, give or take, from when they signed the contract. So appearing on delightful company letterhead is a notice from Phil Kernett with Cashman and West, of course, Pastilli's now out, saying that they have decided to keep the option for Jim and Ingrid's contract. Interesting that they never told Jim and Ingrid that, isn't it? Yep. They just re-signed him. Yeah. Signed him for another year. So at this point, they go back to Tommy. Tommy says, look, things are messy at Capital. The release is limited. We don't have a lot of money behind the marketing. And Jim is just kind of like, okay, whatever. But Ingrid's losing her mind. She is convinced that now Tommy has totally screwed them. They're stuck for another year. They don't know how to get out of this. Uh, in fact, they come home and they're a stockfish smoking a joint and staring at the metronome and they can't even find the copy in the store. At this point, Jim was so broke, he couldn't drive his car. He actually had to bicycle everywhere. He couldn't even afford to put gas in the car. But I think this was also the gas crisis, wasn't it? Around that time? 68, 69? I think that was 70s. 70s, okay. 70, 72. More into the 70s, yeah. Yeah, 74. And they're living in New York, which is even then expensive. So the bills are piling up. Their roommate's not pulling his weight. And there is no advance. And the album is nowhere to be found. So there you got it. Gosh, was, everything had been going so well up until now. No, it was just sunshine and rainbows. Now, yeah. there is a, a little glimmer here. While in Boston playing for one of the Murrah Frankel gigs, a local TV producer actually sees Jim, Ingrid, and John performing and says, hey, you guys would be great for my television show. I have a show for kids. It's about teaching history. They're like, oh, this is awesome. So they head back to New York. They start writing songs. They turn out a whole bunch of songs for kids, including Railroads and Riverboats, Migrant Worker, Green Hill Mountain, all very appropriate for like teaching kids shows. They submit the tape. And in just two weeks, hear back to hear that the producers changed their mind. And instead of Jim and Ingrid Croce hosting the show, they went with Hoagie Carmichael. Yes, the Hoagie Carmichael. One of one of one of the one of the American songbook uh, type songwriters. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a huge name in, in in songwriting circles for sure. I love his sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, I know Hoagie's mm, mm, Philadelphia name for Italian here. Anyway, uh, I think at which point Jim just shook his head and said, "How more disappointing can this get?" Well. Don't ask, Jim, because you're about to find out. Uh, So Stockfish completely runs out of money. He has to borrow money from Tommy to buy a plane ticket to get him back to Canada. So he's out of there. Ingrid and Jim are totally hard up for cash. They're approaching that year mark, too, where Ingrid's going to have to go back to school, or she owes the university over $1,000. So she's got to get back into college. The album's not selling. What are they going to do? So back to Tommy one more time, who says, okay, we'll get you out on a tour at the end of this year. We'll do some colleges in New York. It'll be fine. So December of 1969, Jim and Ingrid hit the road again. And this is a time where a lot of places were on strike because there were strikes going on. There were race riots. And most of the schools they went to were actually closed. They didn't know until they got there. So their tour ended with a stop that all musicians covet at some point in their careers, the Alfred University School of Animal Husbandry. Yes, that's where they wound up in the end of December. The school was 
schools. I know. There was a whole article that came out about a guy <laughs> who, oh my God, it was on Facebook today about a guy who is now married against his will to a crane because like a she, yeah like okay. a brrr, yeah. Cause she, she she killed all the other cranes oh god and claimed him so so this is like jimmy jack's institute of bovine fertility studies or? essentially in upstate new york yeah <laughs> yeah okay mm-hmm. i mean i can imagine those kids need a break no no no, no. It, it gets worse because there was a flu of course uh, it was. a flu epidemic on campus so wait which kind like uh, just a flu yeah human flu yeah but not like swine flu no no just sick people okay yeah so half the campus was sick the other half was protesting so some of these gigs they played had two or three people and despite the bad turnout they're like look this is this is ridiculous Murph frankel's on the phone going nope you you stick with the tour no one's getting paid so there they are upstate new york sleeping in a dorm where jim gets the flu and ingrid has to drive back while jim vomits out of the vw bug <sighs> what an image right Back to New York. They have no money. This is now January 1970. Ingrid's got to get back to school. She's going to owe the school $1,000 if she doesn't. So Jim, again, is riding his bike around New York. They've spent the little money they have. Uh, At this point, Jim's kind of touring around just trying to find any gig. And it was alleged that one day he came, he was like getting his bicycle back and a beggar came up to him and said, hey, man, you got a dime? He stops and looks at Jim and goes, Nah, man, you need it more than I do. At which point, Jim looked at the beggar, looked in his pocket, and he bought the guy a cup of coffee with his last dollar bill. Aww. So he's still he's still holding on to some hope of humanity. And that experience inspired him to write one of Jim's great songs. This was actually on the You Don't Mess Around With Jim album from 1972. Here is box number 10. Cent to my knee, 
Well, I'm sleeping in the hotel doorway And tonight they say it's gonna rain And if you'd only send me some money I'll be back on my feet again Send it in care of the Sunday Mission Box number 10 Okay, folks, box number 10. Again, one of my top Croce songs of all time. LD, thoughts? Yeah, just can we, like, after this, just watch videos of kittens <laughs> and, like, pup, like, specifically Pomeranians? Because, Jesus, man, this is just, I need a break. Yeah. I need, this is depressing. Oh, my God. And then that song is largely biographical. I don't think he was hit over the head and got robbed, but it's, I mean, there's also the song New York is Not My Home, which is a great song also. I think this one's just more kind of on the nose of how Jim was feeling. All right. By that point, that was it. Jim had had it. Ingrid had had it. One day he actually came home, took one look at Ingrid and said, let's go. They knew they were done. Ingrid immediately called her professors at Moore College to arrange one to get back in school and two to figure out where they were going to live. So they actually lined up a farmhouse for rent in Lindell, Pennsylvania, which is out an hour out of Philly, you know, more on the outskirts. The couple who owned it agreed to take whatever the Croches could put down as a deposit. At that point, all they had was $300. Wow. So they put it down, packed up the car, and off they went. In fact, later, Ingrid actually said that on their way home on the New Jersey Turnpike, they actually evaded a toll because they did not have the money to pay a toll. Yeah, back then you could so, get away with it, though. Right, yeah. Now I think it's a very different story. And as they head back to Pennsylvania, dear listeners, that is where we are going to leave this week's episode and come back with part four of Jim Croce next week or the week after. Yes. Again, so we might, uh, again, we might not have an episode next week. We will see how it goes. But uh, with this move, uh, I hope you guys understand that number one, we'll be closer to TJ2, which means that I can actually set up a proper studio. And so, you know, our audio will get better. So yeah, we might have to sacrifice a week or two here and there, just specifically with our move. But we do have some incredible things coming up. Uh, we will have an October slap nuts. <laughs> uh, we have a couple other things. We have our draft coming up as well. And again, I will be posting that on our Facebook page. And please feel free to contribute a full list of 10 or one or two. Just do how many ever you want. If you guys are interested, the draft is a uh, thing that we do now annually. It'll be 40 artists, you know, across the ages that uh, can be on this podcast that qualify for this podcast. And we were going to do a round robin style draft. And mm -hmm. so we'll end up picking a, a particular amount of artists and then we will be covering them next year. Now, I'm sure you guys have done the math and you realize that we still have episodes on Michael Jackson and Marilyn Monroe, and you have Lane Staley. Lane Staley, and my brother still has one, and I can't remember what I it is. Fourth, yeah. But uh, we still have artists that we have to cover, so uh, that will be coming up as well. So if you're interested in uh, supporting the show, like Mike K did, again, thank you so much, thank Mike. You, Mike. You are awesome. And all of our patrons. And thank please you. make sure to email me your uh, your stuff that you like for the show. Uh, and you can be like Mike because Mike is awesome. You can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can follow us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. 
Our Instagram is Rock and Roll Heaven LT. That's also where you'll probably get like the most up to date stuff from us if we're having like technical issues or information about you know anything that we're doing on the show. We post a lot on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook, having a good time over there mm-hmm. at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Still not saying our website, and you can email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. Again, I do apologize to everyone in France for my brother's behavior. And if you could please check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And so from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven to all of you out there, the light at the end of the tunnel might be New Jersey. <laughs> Whatever. Good night. I'm going to pass it back to Will, and we'll see you next week with part four of Jim Croce. Yep. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually have two more episodes on Jim. He's going to be a five-parter, yeah. He will be a five-parter. Excellent. Well, very cool. So uh, we look forward to that, guys, uh, whether it's next week or the week after. But uh, good night, and here you go, Will. Thank you, LD. So let's close it out with a Jim Croce classic here. Again, it seems pretty dark at this point, and it's going to get rough. Like I said, these next two episodes are going to be a rough ride. But one thing Jim was, was always optimistic. And I think that was the root of this song. Again, one of my all-time favorites I will share with you. This comes off the 1972 classic album, You Don't Mess Around With Jim. Whenever I would have a bad day, I'd come home, put this on, pick up the cat, start dancing around the kitchen. Uh, It always put me in a good mood. I hope it does the same for you, especially after this this episode, which was, ooh, this was a doozy. So here we go. The wise words of Jim Croce when he says, tomorrow is going to be a brighter day. Well, I'm sorry for the things that I told you. Words only go so far. And if I had my way, I would reach into heaven and I'd pull you down a star. A present and I'd make you a chain out of diamonds and pearls from a summer sea. But all I can give you is a kiss in the morning and a sweet apology. Well, I know that it hasn't been easy, and I haven't always been all around to say the right words or to hold you in the morning or to help you when you're down. I know I never showed you much of a good time But baby, things are gonna change I'm gonna make up for all of the hurt I brought I'm gonna love away all your pain And tomorrow's gonna be a brighter day There's gonna be some changes tomorrow Gonna be a brighter day This time you can't believe me No more crying in your lonely room And no more empty nights Your eyes, but there's truth and consolation.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 